Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my esteemed co-host for the last 16 years here on Leadership Development News is with us. And, you know, between Kathy and I, we've helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. You know, who doesn't want to be in the top 10%? We all want to be, but what are the steps? What are the tools? What are the strategies to help you be in the top 10%? Uh, and on this show, we're always trying to give you people who help others, or maybe they've done things that have allowed them to be in the top 10%. And today we're going to talk about authentic excellence, authenticity as your true competitive edge. And we're going to be talking with Sebastian Little. And we'll bring him on in a moment, and we'll uh, give you a little background about Sebastian. And then Kathy and I will talk just briefly about kind of why we're doing this and some of the things that are important. And Kathy, are you there? I am here. Hello, everybody. So welcome, uh, Kat. I'll say a couple things and and see how you're doing. Um, you know, this coming out of the pandemic, uh, for the leaders that we're with, everything is more now. And I know, you know, Kat, for me, just getting an executive's time to do the executive coaching that we do is more challenging than it's ever been because they are got so much on their plate. And I like to think about the coaching that we do. It's almost like an oasis. They finally get a chance to breathe, reflect, think about what's important for them, align with their values, think about how they're best leading and how they can best develop others. So, um, I love that. And Kat, maybe you can share a little bit of kind of what you're up to these days, and then we'll bring on Sebastian. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that our audience probably thinks, you know, that we are on the same coast in the the same time zone doing similar work. And uh, we started out that way almost 17 years ago, but we have certainly evolved and uh, you are holding down the fort on the West Coast, uh, training the future of coaches. Thank goodness they have you. And you're also doing your primary coaching work with leaders and teams. And I know you're having a blast and doing great things. Uh, and I am working primarily now with law enforcement, and we are doing one of the largest pilots uh, right now in the country, in the state of Florida with the Florida Deputy Sheriff's Association, and we are launching the MagnusWorks.com app for those professionals. And, really, you probably took a look at it, and I'm sure our guest today, uh, Sebastian Little, is going to want to take a look at it. But the bottom line for everybody is what kind of emotion do top performers experience, and how can this kind of a platform support that? And how can we better understand how our emotions are affecting us? And isn't it nice to know that law enforcement is taking that seriously? And the only other thing I wanted to add, really, is the new State of the Heart report came out a couple weeks ago mm. from our friends at Six Seconds. And I have been using this data everywhere. And the data is clear. Oh, good. Boomers and Gen X are doing well. We are at par for our emotional intelligence at or around what we would say is about the norm, 100. Unfortunately, our Gen Z is on the bottom, way in the lower high 80s. And wow. actually, yeah, the, the, Gen, the, the, the millennials... Uh, are barely above them. And so what we're seeing globally, 233,000 people in 142 countries, is that boomers and the generation right below us are doing 
well, they could be doing better. Our EI is globally down, um, but it's this problem we're having embracing our Gen Zs and our um, millennials, and I'm really excited that we're going to have Sebastian on the show today because I think he's also going to give us some perspective here in performance. So uh, that's interesting. I haven't got a chance to look at it. Let me just say this word, and then we'll bring on uh, Sebastian because he's also done some stuff uh, at Yale with the Center for Emotional Intelligence. I just spent the weekend with uh, 20, probably 25 to 30-year-olds, um, and this was a uh, cycling um, expedition to raise money for people in Kenya, and I was so impressed with this group um, that, you know, it, it gave me a lot of faith in this next generation. This can be a special, maybe it's a special population, cat uh, as you're talking about the statistics, yeah. but this small, this small sample, they were very caring, very open, loving, want to make a difference in the world, um, supportive of each other. You know, it it basically was, uh, I just experienced a high emotional intelligence uh, weekend with that population that you're saying generally uh, has very low scores, but uh, at least that was refreshing. So let's bring on Sebastian. I'll say a little bit about Sebastian here. He is a leadership and performance coach. He also does coaching. He operates in his, his own coaching and consulting practice. He partners with high-performing leaders and teams to optimize uh, culture uh, and close any performance gaps and unlock uh, leadership potential and has worked with clients from the collegiate and professional sports, uh, NHL and uh, MLB, National Basketball Association, but also nonprofits, corporate spaces. And so his approach consists of a mix of ontology, positive psychology, and mental performance. And so he's a you know colleague in our world here. He's got some interesting background working with the McChrystal Group, and I know Kathy, you uh, know those folks well. And he's also worked as a graduate from the Yale University that has the Center for Emotional Intelligence. Peter Salovey and that group, uh, president of Yale, you know, were the first researchers around emotional intelligence. And he's got a PCC and credential Sebastian, uh, for coaching. Uh, Sebastian, I just finished doing a supervision class. I'm on the faculty of a coaching school. Oh, nice. But it's great that you got your PCC. You got your PCC here uh, already. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've been uh, I've been quietly here just listening to like the the, the drops you're kind of seeding in for the rest of, the, of t- today's conversation. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm really grateful for the conversation and, and looking forward to it. Well, I, I'm fascinated by the statement you have here. I want to make sure our audience hears this, Seb. A coach's job is to say the thing you don't want to hear, see the thing you don't want to see, and ultimately help you become the person you want to become. And I think that is so telling of who you are and so generous of you, and that's what attracted my uh, eyes to your bio and, and your uh, coaching techniques to invite you here on the show. So we're really happy to have you. Thank you. I, actually, I, I will credit that quote to, uh, to the trillion-dollar coach, Bill Campbell, uh, I was fortunate enough to um, be connect, kind of connected with him and, and the work that, there, that he's, he's done. And that's one of the quotes that he uses when he describes coaching is to say the thing that you won't, you don't want to hear, to see the thing you don't want to see, but help you become the person you want to become. Um, and it's, it's one of the kind of foundational grounding definitions that I use in my work. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Can you tell us, uh, yeah, I was just going to ask if you'd give us a little bit of a background on uh, who've been some of the major influences in your life. Really talked a little bit about where, your pedigree comes from in terms of your, you know, your coaching background and your uh, emotional intelligence uh, education, but maybe yeah. a little bit, a little bit more because, and talk a little bit about how, um, how you see where things are going in terms of influences in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's kind of three pillars that define the uh, really the essence of my coaching. And the first one is, is psychology. Um, I, I can still remember back to, uh, and just for reference here, because I know we'll probably get into things like um, 
uh, like generational kind of differences and, and connection points. So I'm 29 years old. I'm at the very back end of millennials. I definitely identify as a millennial. Um, and again, I think that'll be relevant as we continue this conversation. But um, psychology is a big, big, big influence in terms of how I think about how I see the world. And I can remember back to my, um, my AP psych teacher in high school, uh, who it was one of the first times that I got language for the experience that I was having of myself and other people. And I finally was able to say, oh, that's a cognitive bias. That's a uh, mental shortcut or heuristic. Um, and I was able to finally start to bring more language to the world that I, I kind of seen. So I studied psychology also um, in college, and I did my thesis work with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence um, and really looking at how do we take leadership and combine it with emotional intelligence for um, younger people, for high school, uh, high school age students. Uh, so psych is a big one. Uh, the second one I'd say is really important for me is ontology, uh, which is the foundation of my coach training program. I had no idea what that word meant before <laughs> before I heard it. Um, so ontology is uh, the study of the human being and not the human doing. And why that's been so mm. important for me is because it gives us such a range of creative solutions to address a usually a finite set of problems. So if you're trying to move a boulder up a hill, Right? You can pull it, you can push it, you can lever it, you can break it up into millions of pieces. And all of those different solutions is what I really consider ontology. All of the different ways of being we can be about something uh, to do something uh, more effectively, more, um, more joyfully, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The last one I'll say is performance, which is what, how I often define as the opposite of ontology. So performance is how do we get you from point A to point B as quickly, as effectively as possible. And what I love about the combination of these kind of three things is the psychology around us understanding ourselves, the ontology around the different multitude of ways for us to get there, and the performance of here are some best practices that I've used, that others have used, and that's, that, that the research uses mm -hmm. for us to be able to be effective. Um, so I, I really use a lot of those different modalities in my coaching, uh, and it's been, a, it's been a blast. That's great. Um... And especially you've been you've been there where we talked about what what Salovey or Mayor you know they really started they started the whole field uh, at least far research wise around emotional intelligence and then Goldman picked it up in 1995 and kind of has gone there and I think Kathy and I as as many people are really and it sounds like you too Sebastian are on the how to piece of EI you know people mm. now know what EI is so they have a definition. Now there's a series of assessments, and, and, and Kathy and I, and I imagine you are trained in different assessments to measure EI. But the big question is, well, what do I do, and you know, how do I raise that? And I know as we were talking about this, some of the key competencies that you work with: authenticity, self-awareness, and in the EI literature, you know, you start with self-awareness. And so maybe uh, let's talk about that one. You know, so what role do you see self-awareness play in, in leadership uh, and also emotional intelligence? And then, you know, maybe any of the how-to piece of, so how does someone raise their self-awareness? We know we should, but like, ah, what do I do? I, I love this question. I feel, I feel so uh, passionate about it because um, I, I try not to... It, try not to oversubscribe to social media or hot trends or buzzwords. I'm, I'm mindful of the language that we use shapes the reality that we live in. And self-awareness has been one of those words over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years for me that has felt like a buzzword more and more. Well, you got to go be more self-aware. Mm -hmm. Well, this person doesn't, this person lacks self-awareness. Well, this person's a narcissist and they don't have any self-awareness. And, and we throw out some of these labels without, I don't think really operationalizing them. And both by background, um, by training, the operalization of something for me is always the most important. The how-to is the most important part of it. Um, so that it doesn't just sit on the shelf and collect dust. So I think self-awareness for leadership is uh, the foundational uh, first step for anything. I often talk about leadership being the practice of noticing. That's one of the definitions that I'll use um, in kind of the more of leadership as a verb. And I think leadership as a verb is the practice of noticing. And for us to notice means that we need to be observant of ourselves and others in the environment that we're in. A bit of situational leadership. I have to know where I am in space and time. I need to know where I want my team to go in space and time. And then leadership occupies the gap. Right? We often talk about coaching. Um, you need a gap to coach. And I think leadership and coaching are almost synonymous terms at this point. 
But we have to notice first where we are and where our team is for us to be able to lead them and lead us into where we want to go. And what that actually looks like, one of the ways that I think that we can actually cultivate more of our own self-awareness, I think about four different medium. They're not the only ones, but they're the ones that I go to most frequently. The first is assessments, which we, we talked a little bit about. I think assessments, assessments are great. And even the assessments that we don't agree with or that we don't like will teach us something if we're willing to learn. So mm-hmm. assessments is one. The next is um, feedback from other people, which I think is an important one. So when I say, hey, um, Dr. Nadler, I'm, I'm really looking to improve X, Y, and Z. Can you give me some feedback or feed forward on how this can be better for me? Right? There's immediate data in that for us to be able to learn and understand ourselves better. The next one is our own self-reflection. So when people talk about journaling, journaling being one of the best tools that we can use for us to, to build our self, uh, both our self-concept and self-awareness. But if we actually are willing to, to go through the, the kind of almost excruciating process of getting to know ourselves and our dark, sides, dark side, that actually might also be through coaching and therapy. But the self-reflecting work, uh, I think, is an important one. And the last one is results. <laughs> and I think our performance gives us so much data about where we are. Because if you go up and you're playing a professional mm. tennis player and you don't score any points, guess what? It's a really good indication that you've got a lot to work on. And our <laughs> performance and our results... What? Seb, yeah. we're going to take yes, a please. quick break. Yeah, we're going to oh, cool. take a Great. quick well, break. Perfect timing. Yeah, no worries. And uh, we'll be right back. And I'd love to come back to the comment you made about noticing because one of my great mentors, Warren Bennis, used that term and he said leaders should be first class noticers. We'll be right back. You're listening mm-hmm. to Leadership Development News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech, like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having a 
stimulating conversation with Sebastian Little. His website is www.sebastian and little, as you would imagine it's spelled, uh, .com. He's got a lot of good information on there. And then you can also uh, email at Sebastian at SebastianLittle.com. And Sebastian, before the break, we are talking about the value of emotional intelligence and then specifically around being authentic and being self-aware. And uh, so why do you think that's a, an issue for folks about their authenticity and, and then maybe some of the things of uh, what they can do to it better be authentic. Uh, I love that question. I think I define authenticity as self-ownership. And um, more broadly, you could call it integration. Integration being how do we bring all of the different parts of us, the dark side, the shadow work, into who we are. And what I notice, the leaders that I tend to gravitate towards, and this is a personal, a personal experience, and I think about my high school football coach and my high school basketball coach and my college football coach, what I love about those men is how uh, paper thin their authenticity is. Their front matches their back. And who they are is, is a father, it's a community person, it's the teacher. And all of those things play into my experience of who they, who I, uh, who they are and how I relate to them. Um, so I think authenticity is a, is a necessary part of our own leadership journey. And we never finish it. Um, but as we continue to pull that self-ownership into who we are, I think it's a really core piece. When you talk about... Uh, your work, um, you talk about super achievers. What what makes them unique, and how can any of us cultivate uh, a sense of what you like to call our own superpowers? Yeah, uh, a super achiever is a person who believes enough is never enough. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a, obviously a little bit of humor in that, um, but it's the folks that are the high performers and high achievers that. As soon as they finish the one thing, it's immediately on to the next. And we all have that friend, likely a lot of the people that are listening by selection uh, to, to this show right now are probably in that camp. And there's an almost an unsatiable desire to always want to do and be more. And there's a beautiful thing about that, which means that you're constantly pursuing growth. The challenging thing or the disempowering thing means a lot of times it, re- it requires us to beat ourselves up in the process. And I think when we balance the authenticity, we can actually say, okay, um, here's who I am and here's what I'm not. It gives us just enough boundaries so that we don't have to always beat and braid ourselves in order for us to get better. Um, the superpower yeah. piece. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. We want to hear about the superpowers. <laughs> yeah, so, so the superpower piece, and, and this is um, an ode to uh, the Spider-Man and Hulk action, action figures that are sitting on my desk right now. Um, I'm a big, uh, big fantasy fiction guy. And what I've always really loved is the origin story of how super, superheroes get their powers. Uh, one of my favorite exercises to do with clients is to look at their kind of innate skills and strengths in three different categories. I call it a strengths inventory. The first category being what is, what is innate? What were you born with? And I think I often look at the people that, that raised us. So I look at mom, dad, grandma, uh, immediate first, kind of first-degree family members. And you say, what are the qualities in them that I really love and appreciate? And often those are the things that they've passed down. It's often the things that we just automatically, automatically have kind of had. The second category is around uh, things that are um, kind of very natural to us. So they're things that are almost automatic. So there's things that you've always done. And if you think about this from an athlete perspective, there's a kid that was always fast, that always had great hand-eye coordination. Um, for the leader, it's the one that's always listening, has always been easy for them. They've always been able to be patient, even when other people, you know, push their buttons. We want to look at what are those things that are natural for us. And then on the other side of it, we want to look at what's nurture. So the nurture is what do we have training in? What have we invested hours and time into that we built a skill set in? For example, coaching would be that, that category for me. I've worked a lot at it. I've trained a lot at it. And yes, I've had some natural skill, but also it's something that I've worked hard at. Hard at. So strength inventory is one of the ways that I often go for to, to find our superpowers. So with that, I think one of the, the key things in this fast-paced world, I was kind of alluding to this earlier, um, any strategies, techniques, of how someone can tap into what do they want, you know, the, their authenticity, because we know from the, the literature and research about 95% of the time we're all on autopilot. And to be authentic, hopefully your autopilot is authentic, but it's not the best for in the moment because what may require us to be someone 
different or do something different. So any thoughts, techniques about how someone can tap into their authenticity in the moment? Mm. We, we need a skill set in slowing down. You said fast-paced yeah. world is actually one way that one of the ways you kind of led into this question around we live in a really fast-paced world, and we live in a world of information overload and information access and abundance more than ever, ever before. And what that usually has us do is it has us pull away from our own intuition and pulls away from ourselves and into other people's decision-making frames, into their ideologies, into their ways of thinking or being. And if we don't have any practice or skill <laughs> in slowing down, in the way that we think, in the way that we do, in the way that we speak, we are <laughs> likely always going to be subscribing to somebody else's agenda and or ideology. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe there's a skill set that we have around, you could call it, um, you, could, you could call it mindfulness in one way, you can call it um, the practice of meditation. There's a million different ways to practice it. But if we don't have any facility with that muscle, we likely are always following the groove or the kind of the mental shortcut of somebody else. Right. right. So tell us, yeah, tell us a, a couple of uh, maybe case studies or examples of uh, the types of of people that you've worked with and some things that you have helped them to become greater at. Yeah. So I, I've, I've been fortunate. I've gotten to do a lot of work in the athletic space. So by way of background um, and then also just by interest, I'll speak to a little bit of that and also kind of speak to more of um, – of some of the other high performers and high achievers in the corporate and nonprofit world that I've done work with. Uh, so in the, in the athletic world, I'm thinking about um, the Yale football team that I've gotten to do work with over the last two years. And you've got these high performing student athletes that want to do great and they want to get A's in everything that they're up to. And one of the things we've really had to work on is redefining what success looks like. And I'll kind of speak right. to how this looks to slow redefining success, not from everybody else's standard, but from the one that we choose winning on our own terms. That is an entirely slow process because by default, we will default to the thing that has always given us more dopamine and more reward. So if I know that I get an A by overly cramming, overly studying, uh, not sleeping, or if I know that I get playing time by um, uh, excessive hard work, eventually that system is going to break. Eventually. Right. Where you either get overtired, you get into a, a mental fog, you get to a burnout place. So slow has been how do we redefine success on your terms, not based on the ones that your parents gave you, mm-hmm. the ones that your teacher or coach has. That's a slow process. It's often uh, quite uncomfortable and a bit painful at times as well because we're rerouting uh, kind of normal neural networks that we typically use. On the flip side of it, uh, I'll, I'll use the example of a superintendent that I get to work with right now. Uh, I've done a lot of work in public schools over the last couple of years. And we've had to think about um, the different kind of ecosystem of people that he's got to deal with at any given time. And um, the board, um, parents, the community, students, teachers, faculty, all these different folks. And when we were able to parse apart the different, different players that kind of live in his board, live in his grid, we got more intentional about the relationships that we had to have. Again, slow. So we went in really slow around what's the ecosystem you're living in, and we're able to get much more clear around the relationships that, that we need to build or, or in some cases actually draw away from. That's a great example. You know, I think uh, both Kat and I probably use this, and you too. One of the things I will always do in coaching, and this is that's what I would call slow thinking, so, you know, borrowing uh, from Daniel Kahneman, coaching and leadership is slow thinking. Unless you're in the emergency room or on the front line, you know, in the military, you have time for slow slinking. And so coaching helps and then for individuals itself to have some tools to say, okay, how can I slow down some of the aspects, you know, that you're talking about to really, you know, be slow and say, okay, in the moment, what am I going to do? But I think going through each of their key stakeholder relations. And so I spend a lot of time with that. And maybe you can speak to that like you're talking about with the superintendent. You came up with all the stakeholders. What's your relationship, going back to what you said earlier around the assessment? Can we do an assessment on your key relationships? And we like to use that term, the emotional bank account. Are you adding to the emotional bank account, or have you withdrawn for the emotional bank account? And if you're on autopilot, most of us are withdrawing. We're not adding. So maybe you can kind of speak, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah and, and I'll, I'll double, double back on the point you made around um, – you know, military or first responders. 
you know, military first responders. I'll put athletes also a little bit in that as well. And I've gotten to do some work in uh, both military and first response. Um, and there's a, uh, the situation in our, our, our environment, and I'll say uh, their environment, requires them to move quickly and make quick decisions. And the work is to stay slow and calm and cool and neutral when you're doing that. It's going to likely give you the, the greatest performance outcome. So there's this weird paradox that I think we live in of fast-paced world that requires fast-paced decisions, and we're pulled towards that. Also, there's a, there's a sexiness with that. There's, um, we get the adrenaline high. We get the rush of being able to solve problems quickly. In a world that requires us to be able to use slow thinking and apply it to fast-paced environments, it's, I think it's the fundamental tension that a lot of us are experiencing. I think it's one of the, the things that you, noticed around, you noted around stress as well. Uh, that though, that that um, kind of fundamental conflict is often one that we're, we're all dealing with. Um, so to, to your to your point on stakeholder management, a, a lot of that comes down to um, a question that I've been asking my my entrepreneurs recently: How willing are you to be misunderstood? Mm. And that that question directly relates to our own level of authenticity and our own self concept. Of if I'm willing to be misunderstood, I'm willing to, you know, people, people, someone would say along lines of, you would die on that hill, right? Your, your beliefs are so strong around this certain thing. But if you're not willing to lose yourself in the process of a job or a relationship, you can have that level of strength in the way, in the conviction, in the way that you make decisions, in the way that you act, perform, or hold other people to account. And if you're willing to be misunderstood, you're likely going to be seen as a stronger leader. Whether, whether or not you're disagreed with or not is not the case, but you're, you're willing to be disagreed with in a way that allows you to continue to move your vision forward, even if it's not always favorable. So, Seth, isn't that really at its root <clears throat> what we call vulnerability, which is where we find another concept that all of us are talking about these days, which is turning the mess into the message Maybe you can talk uh, a little bit about that. I love vulnerability. I love that work. Um, I'm, uh, I got trained with some of the, the Dare to Lead work as well um, by Brene Brown, who's really kind of penned that, that, that phrase and statement. The, the thing that I love about one of the distinctions she makes around vulnerability is around, is it performative or is it, or is it true kind of authentic vulnerability? And I, I say this because I'm really guilty of the former. I'm really guilty of the performative one. I've done, you know, a good amount of kind of coaching therapy work, self-awareness work, where I can tell a story that for a lot of people, they wouldn't expect to come out of my mouth or anyone's mouth. Uh, you know, here's how I feel about X, Y, and Z, or here's some of the work that I've done. And for me, I'm just kind of telling a story. Like, I've already kind of laid that to rest. It doesn't have much energy around it for me. But true vulnerability is when I'm saying the thing that's courageous, that's still bringing in the face of fear. So vulnerability only operates when we have fear, uncertainty, or confusion in our space. So the mess to the message becomes that much more powerful when we have a real adversary ourselves that we're up against, not one that we're performing against. And so many times that adversary is, is ourselves and some of that old right. learning and, and, and being able to kind of take, take that break you know, and try something different, that sense of courage in the moment. Yeah, so absolutely. one of the other things, yeah, you know, I, uh, Kathy and I talk a lot with leaders around empathy. It just, um, it, it's soft, but it's so valuable, kind of like, you know, two sides of the coin, self-awareness and empathy. Um, any way that you're able to kind of, get people to grab it more or let's talk about make it stickier because it's so important, but I think it just kind of glo it can get glossed over. Maybe it's a buzzword. So about harnessing that empathy. Yeah. There, there's a couple of distinctions that people make around this and there's sympathy, which is, I feel bad for you. That's so often when people say empathy is I'm putting myself in your shoes, which I struggle with a little bit because I think it kind of discounts and cheapens the other person's experience. Like you could say, Hey, I've, I've experienced something similar before. Like right. I've also dealt with loss, but it's not really like, we never really understand it from other, somebody else's vantage point. Like we'd have to be them. Yeah. 
and then there's there's actually um, compassion, and compassion is the act of taking on something uh, based on the emotion that you're experience, experiencing. And the challenge that I, I often put to leaders with when it when it comes to empathy, and particularly empathy being a soft word, you should be more empathetic. Is right. empathy is necessary for leadership, empowered leadership. If you're going to sell any product or or, or if you're going to sell um, uh, anything to anyone, you have to understand what your buyer wants, which requires empathy. So if you want to have a successful yeah, business gonna... or if you want to be a successful leader, yeah. it's a required skill set. We're going to go to a quick break once again. And, again, we'll, we'll, we will be happy to come back to this wonderful dialogue. And I think it's fascinating. When we come back, Seb, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what are the generation of people that you're coaching? Hmm. Uh, because I, I hear, and Relly, maybe you hear it as well, there's a real distinguishable style here that is very different than uh, the coaching that that we have grown up into. And I, I see it all around us. I see this um, whirlwind of coaching going on. And um, I, I want to take this last segment to talk about some of the generational differences in coaching that you're experiencing as well. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with Sebastian Little, which is also his website, www.sebastianlittle.com, or email sebastian at sebastianlittle.com. And we're just starting to get into a little bit of the differences of generation, Sebastian. And you said you're 29 and, and have a great feel for this. Kathy and I have been doing it a, a lot longer, and it's just it's very refreshing 
um, to kind of hear this, uh, you know, from you and how you're bringing it to folks. So what, what are some of the things that you noticed, Kathy started us off saying that some of the younger generations, you know, your generation may have less uh, emotional intelligence now. And, and a lot of times I'll talk to it. It's, it's really around technology. How many hours are you looking at a screen versus a person? But what's your take on all this? It's a great question. I, I, I'm not surprised based on those statistics that you named that Gen Z and I think also alluded to millennials are struggling more with emotional intelligence. I think, uh, I also believe right now, I think that the younger generation is held to a, a higher visual standard with more social capital than any other place before where you could you used to, and I, I say used to, even with my own, my own experience, I didn't grow up with a cell phone and I didn't grow up with a camera phone. And now that is all there is. So everything is captured. Everything is performative. Um, everything is, uh, is likely judged by some semblance of likes or clicks or comments. And I, I, would, I would go to say it's, it's more challenging because you're always in a spotlight and you never get to really turn off, mm-hmm. even at a very young age. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling to me that, and I'd love both of your input on this, that we see in the data that the boomers and the, you know, the gen, uh, generation right below them, which is Gen X, that they are coping better. And so their emotional intelligence is higher because they mm. have coping skills. Now, yeah. pardon me, I still have a little bit of a, a chest cold here. When we look at the other two generations, now, take this as the context. So here's, here's an ecological ontology. Everybody, for the first time, is working together in the same environment, whether you are government, military, or industry. And so this is why this becomes important. We saw a little bit of it in the past, but not as much as we see it today. And some of the things, for example, said that you talk about are, um, you know, tools that leaders need to try to navigate through messy or complex situations while staying true to their authentic selves. That, that has always been there. That is not new. The difference in what's going on now is that this generation that is so performance-based, as you just described, that having somebody who is, quote-unquote, the leader needs to actually adjust for that population. I doubt that population is going to adjust to the leader. And I would love your input on that. I'm going to put my coaching one out. I think this has to be a both-and. I notice there's often a ton of interfriction or interconflict between each generation. And the old, older generations tend to call for the younger generation to be a certain way. And the younger generations call, tend to say, well, here's how you have it wrong and here's how we have it right. And it doesn't work to be on a team like that. It's, it's not workable. Right. And when we can look at from a younger generation, here's how much I can learn from you and the experiences that you've had. Right, the, the things that you established, the consistency that you brought. And the, young, and the older generation can say, here are the things that I can learn from you and the things that matter to you and around how this world is now shaping. Now you've gotten a line team. And when we want to look for the differences, we can always find them. And how we leverage them basically speaks to uh, how successful our, our outcome becomes. And I, I agree with that. The concern is going to be in the coping skills, and that's the root of the mess. The leaders are going to be able to probably tolerate the coping, and this new generation will not. And so what will happen is they will leave, and we've seen this. The loyalty factor becomes the question, and they will go on to the next position where they believe that the authenticity of the leader that they're going to work for is more like them or what they need, but that's not necessarily the case. So the challenge becomes what are the tolerances necessary 
in these two generations that are coming up so quickly that we need yeah. to build upon so that these leaders can appear and recommend and navigate with them so that, as you said, it's a, you know, it, it's a, an adding to the quality of the leader and the team. And, and these are tensions that we're currently living with, and it's costing organizations huge sums of money. I know um, the, the turnover rate right now in industry is, is up in the high 40s, and in law enforcement, it, it's at 58%. So these wow. escalating conflicts are the things that I'm trying to address here uh, in terms of what you love to say, which is really characteristic of what's going on here, which is it's messy. Right. So how do we get the message out of the mess? So let me jump in here. Um, yeah, please. In re- in re- yeah. In regards to this, go ahead. Cause we want to get into kind of some of, uh, some of the practical tools. I think Kathy, what you're saying, and I'm, I'm saying regardless of the generation is how do we deal with the mess? How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with uncertainty? Some of the stuff, the bachelor that you were, uh, you were saying early, the discomfort, I think the older generations, um, just have more time dealing with discomfort, change, all the uh, adversity. And I think that's kind of and one of the key I'm, things, yeah. as we know. That's what I'm emotional referring intelligence, to, right, as the coping. Emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Emotional intelligence is um, we get better as we get older. And so I think when you look at it, just practical, it's exposure. But then if we go back to the skill, so the idea of conflict and being authentic in the moment when emotions and tensions are high, to me, that's the, that's the critical moment. So if we look at it, you know, regardless of generation, it's the, that moment of discomfort. And then what skills are we bring? And maybe, uh, Seb, you can kind of talk to that. Cause to me, that's kind of, that's the crystallization of what we all need to get better at. I'd be really curious to see, and I don't know if you, you have this data handy as well, but be curious to see when you looked at snapshots of four to five generations in a workplace or in a workforce, if we see a similar trend with the younger generation struggling the most with emotional intelligence. My, my guess would be we're likely going to see this trend continue, and it, it likely has probably happened yeah. for centuries before us. So if we don't look at right. this as a problem, what would we do differently? If there's not something to fix, what, 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 what might we shift? And I think that goes to a little bit of your, your question really around um, what do we do about this? I think we've covered some of those things in, in this conversation so far. Um, and I might even just say to sit with that one question around what, what is your individual responsibility? As a parent, what's your responsibility to your kids to model emotional intelligence, not just talk about it? Um, as a coach, what's your responsibility to uh, honor your client's feelings, but not validate them to a point of reinforcing a disempowering reality? I think there might be about our, our own individual, what is our own individual responsibility uh, to this conversation and to the conflict? I love it. And, and so the, the thing that resonates, <clears throat> pardon me, for me is, when we think about the data, the data that, that Six Seconds has been collecting has been for the last 11 years, and it's always been generational. What they have not seen in this particular year, which is in this year's report, is the, the numbers being so uh, distant mm. between the generations that are working mm. together. And, and to the point we're all making here, we all need to be sensitive to the complexity of mm-hmm. the situation and being in tune to being our authentic selves and sometimes recognizing that our immediate problem-solving skills may require a little bit of a deeper emotional navigation than we've been required to do in the past. Right. This is what we wrote the whole Emotional Brilliance book about, is that balancing these pressures, both as a leader and a team member, um, and, and recognizing these things are going to continue. It's how these generations coming up behind us, because the fifth generation, which hasn't entered the workforce yet, hasn't even been named, um, mm-hmm. is just now turning eight years old. 
So we, you know, we're going to have to look out for this in the future. And as we recognize it, we can probably close that gap a lot quicker, especially with wonderful people like you, Seb, who are, you know, so good at understanding and collectively we can probably make a difference. Brilliant, you said. Thank you. So before we kind of go to a close, um, any kind of tips or tools when someone is in the mess, you know, in the moment, what can they do to somehow navigate? You know, my company is called True North Leadership, and it's kind of that, that metaphor, if you're lost, how do you take your bearings? And so when someone's lost or someone's in the middle of this, maybe a quick thought on this, Ed, what do they do? How do they get their bearings to be authentic, to be self-aware? One of my favorite tools to to think about conflict with is we often, what we think about conflict is, is that there's two people on both sides of a table. And my job in conflict is to take my perspective and it's to put it on you and to win. And what it, what it takes us out of is it takes us out of relationship and it takes us out of actually us addressing the problem as the target. And the, the metaphor I like to use is what happens when that one person on the other side of the table walks around to yours and you both sit side by side and address the problem in the middle of the table. And it's an easy frame for us to start to think about. We can do so physically. So if you notice yourself over having um, a lot of challenging conversations over a desk, I might even, uh, I might even suggest you move, that t- move the chair so that both of you can yeah. sit um, facing a certain, certain you know, item and address something together versus address it uh, head on head. That's great. That's wonderful vision. I think just from the, li- from the literature that we know, it's really hard to have this anger if someone's next to you. I mean, look at what happens, you know, when people are driving. People are in their protective shell, and you can, because of that separation, you can be really angry. But if you bumped into that same person in the hall, you both will be apologizing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Seb, this, is, this, this has been really great. Um, hopefully people can check in a little bit more with what you're doing. I think uh, what you're bringing to the, to the world is really good. So for more information, um, SebastianLittle.com. And uh, Kat, anything you want to bring us home with? No, I'm just delighted that uh, Sebastian and I met and I brought him to our listeners because I think he has such a wonderful voice and such a great attitude. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Tune Up Your Performance with Leadership Development News. And you can contact Sebastian at Sebastian at SebastianBiddle.com. Take care. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.